are working our way through um, a series looking at um, our membership vows, looking at what it what what we uh, agree to when we become part of this community. And, and so for, for those of y'all who have been members for a long time, it's, it's good to rethink what it means to be a member of the church. And, and for people, you know, working through that, it's good for us to, to think about what it means to be in this community together. And so we're looking at our vows and primarily and how they help us relate to each other as a church community. And um, last week we looked at sin. Um, our, our first vow is confessing that we are sinners, confessing that we fail. And um, um, we, we don't do that as a one-off thing, but as a continual thing, every Lord's Day, remind, you know, confessing our sins, which is an important first step because it's the diagnosis. It's saying what the problem is. It's saying what needs to be corrected. And so before we can even move to what the solution is um, to our problems in life, we have to make sure that we are absolutely dead on correct with what the problem is. Um, my uh, uh, ear is stopped up. I sound really funny to myself, and um, I, but you know, if I, I, I'm having this sort of thing, and if I was to um, go see someone and they were to decide um, to treat me for um, a knee injury, it wouldn't do a whole lot of good for uh, my sinus issues. <laughs> That's obvious. Um, so we've got to make sure that we're correct about the diagnosis before we move on to the cure. And if the problem is sin, we're in a state where we cannot help ourselves. Um, we're in a state where we need salvation. We need righteousness. We need goodness from someone else. And so... Our second vow of membership that we make is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon him alone for your salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Um, this is God's solution. The solution is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and the righteousness that comes to us from him and we looked at um, the first part of chapter 3 of Romans last week, and now we move on to the second part, which answers, yes, there is none righteous, so what do we do? And what we receive here, and what, what is um, explained to us in this third chapter of Romans, uh, in verse 21 comes and says, now there is a righteousness that God has manifested apart from the law. In other words, the first part of this talked about there is no one who is righteous underneath the law. And he's talked about the law, God's law, for the first um, few chapters of this book. Underneath this law, there is no one righteous. There is none who is good. There is no one who seeks from God. And so now Paul tells us there is God's righteousness for us that is shown to us apart from the law, apart from the rules, apart from doing uh, the works of the law. And so that if we are sinful, um, fail to keep the law, we now can see a new way. We see a way apart from us doing something we can't do. We see a way to be reconciled to God. Even though it is apart from the law. In other words, we don't do all the rules the law gives us to be made with God. He also goes in and says, um, though it is manifested apart from the law, in verse tw um, 21, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
And that, that's a great little phrase because what he is saying is, although I'm telling you the gospel, although I'm telling you something new about how you come into this right relationship with God, it's not like I'm making it up. This is not something I'm, I'm pulling out of the hat. It's not something God just invented as a second uh, plan because the first one went so wrong. He's saying the whole law and the prophets, which was a shorthand of way of saying, of saying the Bible. He says all of the Old Testament shows us this righteousness. All of the Old Testament points to this gospel. And elsewhere he uh, does a wonderful job of showing how that is. So even though this is apart from the law, it's not contrary to it. It's not something radically different. There's not a big break um, between uh, Malachi and Matthew that this is something God has been pointing to. And that is God graciously declares us righteous. That even though we don't keep the law, God looks at us and says, through Christ, you are made right with me. You are in a good relationship with me. You have a right standing. So he looks at us and forgives us and declares us righteous, but a righteousness apart from the law. Uh, Verse 22 tells us, um, and as we see the solution, it kind of lays out for us how we receive it, how it's given, why, why it's this way. Verse 22 tells us that the righteousness that's made apart from the law comes to us by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is, in Jesus, we are redeemed. Um, we don't use that word a whole lot. Um, but I, I don't know. Did, was there ever a place in Covington that had stamps, like a grocery store you would get, and you could go redeem those stamps? Uh, maybe the closest thing is when you take your kids to the arcade and you spend uh, $10 in a skee-ball machine and they get some coupons. And then they can redeem those coupons for $0.50 cents worth of material. Um, God has a better deal. Redeeming is, is someone could be captured by uh, another army or taken into slavery or, or, or taken into slavery because of their debts. And redeeming would be a purchase to bring them back. And so this is saying that God has redeemed us, has, has brought us into this relationship through Jesus Christ. Um, that is the cross did something. The cross changed our relationship with God. Verse 25 calls it a propitiation. Uh, propitiation, another word we don't use a lot, means that this relationship of, of wrath at our sin and, and anger at our sin that is just is now taken so that God has grace towards us, has mercy towards us, um, so that the cross actually changes something. It's what he's talking about, is that there's not just a good example for us to follow in Jesus dying on the cross. There's not just um, a, a nice way of God showing that he loves us. Though it is an example. Though it is a sign of God's love. It is ultimately a change in God's standing towards us. Because he takes the penalty for our sin. He takes our unrighteousness and gives us righteousness. So that in verse 26... It says, it was a way to show his righteousness as the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be just and the justifier. is saying, we've done wrong. God is just. He can't just overlook those wrongs. The cross is the way he pays for those sins, but at the same time pays for us and redeems us. And shows us mercy. He is at the same time just 
and the justifier. And, and, and that's the beauty of the cross is when you, when you look and you think about what Jesus did on the cross, you realize that God is a just God. He can't just overlook sin. He can't just say, eh, it's no big deal. At the same time, he is merciful and loving and gracious so that he is also the justifier. He's the one who pays on our behalf. There is God's justice and God's mercy, both displayed perfectly and displayed how they are held together. Later on, Paul reminds us that the wages of sin is death. And here he shows us that he pays our wages. He pays the price for us so that we might be seen as righteous. Paul goes on to say how we receive this. He says that God's righteousness is shown apart from law. It's purchased for us by Christ on the cross and that we receive it by faith. We receive this by faith. That is by trusting in Christ. Um, the example I gave to the kids is a good example for us to keep in mind. You know, I, 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 I hear so often people kind of come to this idea that we, we come to religion or we come to faith and suddenly we're in a different ballpark than anything else in the world. You know, we, you know, we have our, our physical world. We have the, um, the way life happens. And all of a sudden we get into um, the realm of religion and we act as though we, rules don't apply. You know, common sense doesn't apply. Logic no longer applies. But faith um, seems to be that we, we kind of say, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe strong enough. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, I think a pro- one of the presidents said, um, you know, religion is essential uh, to public morality, and it really doesn't matter which one. But that's nonsense. Of course it matters what you believe. Of course it matters what you trust. Faith is not what saves us. Faith is not what puts us in a good relationship with God. You see, the problem with that is when we think faith is what does it for us and we think the amount of faith we have is what's important, what we do is we turn faith into another work. We turn faith into something we do. But the truth is faith is simply the way we receive grace. Faith is simply trusting in what Christ has done for us, trusting in God and his word. Um, It matters what is believed because the object is what is essential. It's why Jesus um, repeatedly told parables that, you know, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And the point is, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. What matters is who that faith is in. Um, To say, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe really strongly would about about be like saying, okay... You can take your money and you can go to one of our banks or investment you know, folks around here and give it to them and invest it. Or you can go and um, just randomly walk up to a stranger and say, let me give you a few thousand dollars and uh, hope you will take care of me in my retirement. Now, you can do either one of those and just trust a whole lot that it's going to happen. Well, no, nobody does. I mean, at least I've never had anybody come up to me and say, hey, let me give you some money. And, and You want to give your investments to somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who will do well with it. Um, I mean, the same with our trust. We, we don't just trust anything. We, we should think about things. We ask questions. We test. And the same with our faith and religious faith and, and spiritual faith. 
is the one we trust, worthy of that trust. Faith is the instrument we receive God's grace. And verse 24 tells us that we are justified by grace as a gift. Gift is something you don't earn. Gift is something freely given. Um, in, in, in later on, Paul talks about the wages of sin versus the gift of salvation. And the, he, he contrasts those because a wage is something you earn. A gift is something freely given. Grace is never merited. Grace is something just given to us because of God's mercy and nothing because we do to earn it. Um, We still, at times, try to think about ourselves. We still, at times, try to bring it into ways we earn this. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a a pastor in London. And he he would say that one of the ways he would um, try to get, get an idea of someone's understanding of of Christianity would be to ask them, you know, if he was counseling, uh, are you a Christian? And he said, a lot of times the response would come back, I'm trying to be. Many of us might say, I'm trying to be, but he understood as soon as somebody said that, they didn't get it. You see, if I'm trying to be, it means I'm doing something. I'm working. I have a standard I'm trying to live up to be. And there's good things. And if I'm doing those, I'm a Christian. If I'm failing to do those, I'm not a Christian. And that completely misses the point of grace. Grace means you didn't earn it. Grace is a gift. You don't earn a gift. You don't merit mercy. You're not deserving of this love. And anything that we think we do that brings us to a position that we can say we've earned it, misses grace completely. It makes it something that we do. Uh, Lloyd-Jones went on to say that, you know, one of the things you can do is you can talk to people and ask if they're a Christian. And he says, if you listen, quite frequently, they never mention the name of Jesus. And it's true. You know, I I ask people what it means um, in classes and things. And I often hear about belief in, in God, which is true, and a lot of the nice things we do for each other. But if that's how you define being a Christian... You make it about you, not about Jesus. You make it about the works we do, not about the gospel. You make it about us being good people rather than Christ saving undeserving sinners. So we are saved by grace, received through faith, the gospel of this redemption of Christ paying for our sins on the cross. And what's the result of this? Um, Well, we sang about it. Um, um, Ron picked a a beautiful hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And we sang that there's no place for us to boast. Um, Part of the scripture, verses 27 and 28, say that there's no room for us to boast if this is grace. Um, Which is a a wonderful way for us to be in relationship with each other. I mean, how how can any of us think we are better off than anyone else in this room if we admit the only reason we have any standing before God is because of God's grace. You know, I, I, we have positions, we have offices. Yes, you need people who are more knowledgeable about the scriptures to teach. You need people who've been part of the church for a while to take on leadership responsibilities. But when it comes to our relationship with God, there is no boasting. There is no distinction. There's just as we said, if we admit we're all sinners, there's no, we're all level at the cross. 
if we all receive this lavish gift, not because we earn it, there's no room for boasting. Um, I was, uh, took part in, in the Alabama Governor's School. Um, it was kind of a selection of people who were going in to be seniors in high school. They came to the campus for a couple of weeks and took some classes kind of preparing for college. I had uh, signed up for it and received a rejection letter fairly quickly. I have a good collection of rejection letters, by the way. Um, two weeks before the governor's school, I got a phone call, and they said, um, we've had a couple of people drop out. You're still, um, you know, you, you were kind of on here, and uh, so we've, we've kind of come down to you. <laughs> Would you still be interested in coming? So I went, had a wonderful time, but this was the thing. This was, you know, kids who did well in school and all this, and so I'm surrounded by all these these overachievers one of the kid oh he made a 36 on the ACT it was impressive and um, you know all these you know, and egos were out you know it's just constant ego clash I'm going to word this right this might be one of the only times in my life I haven't had too much of an ego because I knew <coughs> there were others who didn't go there that's why I was there the way I related to those people was very different. Um, I mean, not because I'm a wonderfully humble person, but because I knew I was only there by grace. <laughs> I was only there because somebody else wasn't. That should affect the way we're all here. If you think you're here because you're a really good person, you're a decent, upstanding citizen, and we are fortunate to have, you're gonna have a very different attitude if you know I have failed, I have stumbled, but God is merciful and God is gracious. And if you can sing Amazing Grace and get it, it changes the way you treat one another. Um, the other thing he talks about is it, it affects our unity. We have a common hope. We're all together um, in the same lifeboat. So that might be a bad one this week to talk about. Um, we all have our hope in the same place. Verses 29 through 30, he talks about... Uh, Gentiles and Jews are both saved by the same grace. And, and, and one of the things he's getting to is our relationship with one another should be one of incredible unity because we all have the same hope. It's not as though some of us are really doing the rules and God's going to pitch in the rest. And some of us, well, God's merciful. It's all of us are here by mercy. We all trust in the same Lord. And if our faith is in the same one, we should be all together on the same page on most things. A wonderful unity that, that goes over, you know, we might have very different ideas about how to solve the nation's debt crisis. We might have very different attitudes about how to care for the poor. But if we all have the same idea of what makes us righteous and what makes us susceptible to God, we have a unity that goes well beyond even language, nationality, political views, everything. So here's the question. The vow is, do we trust in Christ alone? Are you trusting in Christ alone? We might you know, think that. We might say it. We might be very you know, able to, to sing that even. But deep in our hearts, there are things that call for us to put our faith in down. There's things in our hearts that 
call us to trust in them and, and to make them more real in a way of living out what makes us acceptable. Tim Keller has good test for seeing what this is in your life, but one of the best ways is to say if there's something in your life that if you lost it, you would be inordinately upset. It's a good sign that you are trusting in that, that your faith is in that to justify you, to make you acceptable, so that if someone was to lose a job, that would be bad. That would be something to, to mourn over. That would be something to, you know, obviously make you upset. But if you're ready to just walk away from it all because you no longer have a career you love, that's an inordinate desire. That's something you're trusting in to prove more than just providing a means for your family. Some, it's, it's physical attraction. If I'm, I'm attracted to the opposite sex, and, and if people like me because of that, I'm worth something. And you will do lousy things and hurtful things to keep proving to yourself you're acceptable. It might be that everybody looks at me and thinks, you know, I have a wonderful family and we got it all together. There's so many things that we can put in our place, money, power, that if I have that, I'm acceptable. And if I don't have that, life's not worth it. What is it in your life that you want to trust more than the grace of God that says you are loved, you are acceptable Trust in Christ alone. Trust in the one who loved you and who died for you because of that love. And who gives you the free grace, not because you've earned it, not because you've proved you're worthy of it, but because he loves you.